Well, hello everyone and welcome back. This is our daily devotional for Thursday, February 29th, and I hope that it finds all of you doing very well. I'm happy to be back with you today, and I'm really happy that I have this opportunity on a Thursday instead of waiting until Monday, because as I was reviewing what we did for yesterday's devotional, it occurred to me, or I recognized that I actually skipped a verse yesterday, and I hate doing that sort of thing. I know why I did it. I got to the end of a little section where I wanted to, to focus on something, and then I just skipped a verse by accident, but where we found ourselves yesterday was in Acts chapter 24. Paul is standing trial before Felix, the Roman governor. We were dealing with, with kind of the final blow that he gives to Ananias and, and, and the Jews in this case that they have against him. Because what Paul basically does is he talks about all the charges that they've made about the fact that there were no witnesses. And, and then he argued that he didn't disturb the peace. They were the ones that disturbed the peace. Then he insisted that he, he didn't have any cause or, or desire to defile the temple. But then finally, Paul said to Festus, hey, look, they had me at the Sanhedrin. They, they were trying me and they didn't find me guilty of anything. And now they're here before you. And y'all, we then talked about that very curious interlude there where, where Festus started by saying to Paul, okay, um, back in 23, chapter 23, I'll hear you when your accusers get here. Well, then they got there and he heard them. And then after that, he doesn't do anything. And he says, well, I'll hear you when, when Lysias gets here, Claudius Lysias, right? That, that's the Roman commander. Though he already had Claudius's statement, he sent it to him by letter. And, and then this two-year period starts where Claudius, or, or excuse me, Felix brings in his wife, Drusilla, who we know is a Jewess, right? To, to hear Paul and Paul is, is testifying about Jesus and then he gets scared and, and he's gone from, we're waiting till your accusers for me to hear the trial. Then we're waiting for Lysias to get here for me to hear the trial. And it gets all the way to the point that he says at the end of verse 25, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Well, what does that mean? Now, you know, there is no writ of habeas corpus in, in ancient Rome. There was no requirement for a speedy trial. That's one of the things we enjoy in the United States. But uh, the habeas corpus produced the body, right? There, that wasn't a thing in ancient Rome. They had Paul under arrest. They could keep him under arrest. But still, all this curious stuff is going on. But I left out one of the most curious pieces, and I'm so sorry for doing that. Um, let, let me get to this, and then we'll pray, and we'll get to where we're going today. Because as we saw yesterday, Festus kept him for two years, and then a new Roman governor was appointed. Festus, or Felix, is gone. Festus is there. Felix, some think that, that Felix became a believer, but the last verse that we read was that he wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, so he left Paul in prison. Highly unlikely. Okay, um, But the verse that I left out is verse 26 where it says, at the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. All right, two things. Number one, this too is evidence that this is not just Felix wrestling over his Christianity, and maybe he's going to convert, and maybe he's not. Um, this shows Felix to also be who he is, and it's not just about money, y'all. Probably what he's really hoping for there. There's different thoughts on this. There are some that say, yeah, he's just hoping for money. 
I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it's it's one of two other things. Either he's hoping that Paul will offer him a bribe so he'll have something to find him guilty over. Um, we know that he wants to grant favors to the Jews. He'd listen to them when they praised him, even though he should know better that, that they think he's this unclean animal. But nevertheless, that, that, that could be what he's desiring there. Or it could be on the other side of things that he really didn't find anything wrong with Paul. And he was just hoping that Paul would give him a bribe so he could let him go. I think that the former is far more likely than the latter. And also this sheds some light on who Felix really is. That yeah, he, he might have had some wisdom, but at the same time, he's worldly, y'all. We see worldly wisdom on display in Felix. Now, I am sorry for missing that yesterday, but now we've got that covered. Today, we're going to see what happens next. Um, we, there's a new sheriff in town, or new Roman governor in town at least, and his name is Festus, okay? Porcius Festus, to be precise, but it goes by Festus. So let's pray, and then we're going to crack open chapter 25. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. What a blessing it is to have your word, the testimony of not only what pleases you and, and what is true, but also the testimony of your faithfulness throughout the generations, the testimony of what it looks like for your Holy Spirit to intervene. So Father, please make us wise as we read. Help us to see your sovereign hand at work and help us to be encouraged by it. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So do the math. What did we find out yesterday? We found out that Chapter 24, verse 27, when two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. So do the math. Paul finally goes back to Jerusalem. He gets costed there by the Jews. The Romans take him into custody. They have this plot to murder him that Paul's nephew finds out about. He tells the Roman commander. Roman commander sends Paul to Caesarea, um, to, to Felix to be tried because he finds out that Paul's a Roman citizen. That changes things. And so fast forwarding, two years have transpired. Festus is now the governor of, uh, for, for Judea. And so we find out in chapter 25, verse 1, three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem, where the chief priest and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented the charges against Paul. They urgently requested Festus as a favor to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem, for they were preparing an ambush to kill him along the way. Pause for a second. Same song, next verse, a little bit louder, a little bit worse. I, uh, nothing has changed with the Jewish leaders. And it seems like they would have figured that out by now. Remember, one of the things that Paul did before Felix was Paul mentioned, oh yeah, well, these guys are here, but really the ones that you ought to be talking to, Felix, are the Jews from Asia. They're the ones that have some other problem with me. He doesn't say to him, these were the ones that made the vow to not eat or drink anything until I'm dead. By the way, curiously enough, we don't find out anything about their imminent death because you can go a little time without food and water. You can go a lot of time without food. You can go a little time without water, but you certainly can't go two years 
And I very much doubt that these men, well, we know they didn't fulfill the vow because Paul is still alive two years later. And we don't hear anything about their, you know, dying of malnutrition or, or thirst or anything like that. But, but anyway, I'm, I'm sort of making light of this. It's a serious thing, but it shows their hatred for Paul. It shows what the world really believes about Christianity. We talked about that in the past. So you have the dynamic laid out before you. Um, Festus is on the job, right? One of the things that he did as governor of this region, this would have meant that the governor, the Roman governor, would have gone to places like Samaria. He would have gone to Jerusalem. He would have met with the officials there. Remember how the Roman Empire was set up? Local areas kept their municipalities. They had their own leaders. However, they reported to the Roman governor of that particular region, which is no longer Felix. It's now Festus. So he goes and he meets with him and very much the same as they did with Felix. It's this buttering up type thing. And it's almost the, well, I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. So as a personal favor to us, you know, Paul, why don't you get him out of Caesarea? Send him back to us. We've made our case. Well, just send him back to us and we'll try him here. And y'all, they're flat out lying. They are flat out lying to Festus. And doesn't this harken back to what Paul said when he was initially seized by the Jews? where he talked about the fact that they had already defiled their court because um, Ananias ordered that Paul be struck in the mouth because he didn't like the things that Paul was saying. They had Paul struck in the mouth, you know, punched in the face because he didn't like it. But in so doing, he already turned it into a kangaroo court because he's punished him without even presenting a crime, much less convicting him of one. Nothing has changed in two years. Now, the question is, does Festus know this? I don't know. We don't really know. I mean, it, it's entirely likely, right, that, that Festus would have been brought up to date on this. There's a reason why he kind of hits the ground running as the Roman governor. We talked about previously how important it was to keep the trade routes open that went through Judea. Maybe that's why he's in Jerusalem. But you can almost guarantee that as the one who succeeded Felix, he would have known about this situation with Paul. He would have known about why. That, that had to be one of his first questions. Okay, he's a Roman citizen. Gotcha. Um, he's from Jerusalem. Okay, why is he in Caesarea? What's going on here, Felix? It makes perfect sense that Felix would have told Festus. Okay, well, let me tell you. And he probably would have even showed him the letter that, hey, um, we found out about this plot to have him killed by the Jews, and uh, that's why he's here. So we don't know that. We don't see Festus replying like, hey, yeah, yeah, sure, guys, I'm going to do you this favor because I really know what you're planning here. He doesn't do that. Not at all. Verse four, Festus answered, Paul is being held at Caesarea and I myself am going there soon. Let some of your leaders come with me and press charges against the man there if he has done anything wrong. Wise answer. It's a wise answer. Verse six. After spending eight or ten days with them, he went down to Caesarea, or to Caesarea, and the next day he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defense. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. 
Festus, wishing to do the to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Y'all, pausing for just a second. This really looks like Festus trying to have his cake and eat it too. Originally, they requested, hey, send him to send him to Jerusalem. We'll take care of him there. And and by take care of him, you know, put quotation marks around that. Felix wasn't or Festus wasn't willing to do that. But now it's as if he is, but it's not, I'm going to send him back to you guys to try him. It's, Paul, will you go with me to Jerusalem so I can try you there? It's, again, have your cake and eat it too. It's not really what the Jews wanted at all. They didn't care about him coming to Jerusalem for a trial. Plan was to never have the trial, right? It's hang them high. Though it's probably more like behead them high or stone them high or whatever. But Um, He's trying to have his cake and eat it too. But Paul makes an excellent point here. And again, it's like we talked about yesterday. I used the old adage, the man who represents himself in court has a fool for a a client, right? The man who serves as his own lawyer has a fool for a client. This is not the same thing as typical civil stuff. This is Paul being persecuted for Christ. And as such, the Holy Spirit is directing Paul. And so we see this point being made by him. Look, I haven't broken their law. I haven't broken your law. I haven't done anything to Caesar. So Paul answered, verse 10, I am now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I have not done anything wrong to the Jews as you yourself know very well. If, however, I am guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if these charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. Now, time out again. Time out. Guys, this is one of those passages that here we are in 2024, we have a difficulty grasping the seriousness of what has just taken place. We've talked about this before, all the way back when Paul was was first arrested. Remember, the, the business went down in the temple. The Roman commander found out about it. He went and grabbed Paul, had Paul put in chains. Chapter 22, basically what the commander is trying to figure out is what's going on. And he says, all right, let's flog him. And then he'll, you know, let's loosen him up a little bit. And then he'll tell us everything that, that we need to know. And that's when Paul says, hey, is it good to do this to a Roman citizen? Yeah, yeah. Stop! No more, no more. Um, It was illegal to do that to a Roman citizen. Roman citizens had certain rights, the highest of which was ultimately appealing to Caesar himself in judicial matters. That was the highest right of any Roman citizen. And when you think about it, it's a beautiful right that being a part of Rome, of the Roman Empire, meant that no man was beyond the law, no man was above the law. Every man that was in the Roman Empire as a citizen had rights, even if that meant taking it all the way to Caesar himself. And Paul here evokes his absolute highest right. Now, why does he do this? Well, I think that there's a lot of good reasons for this, okay? I think that that one of the, the, the reasons that, that he does this 
is because he knows what's really going on with the Jews. I, I think that he knows, we know that he knows about when they tried to ambush him before. Maybe he's concerned about that. Um, but deeper than that, remember what happened at the end of chapter 23, or excuse me, in the middle of chapter 23. After Paul was initially arrested in Jerusalem, after he gave testimony there and everything blew up, we find out in chapter 23, verse 11, that the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage. Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. Y'all, finally, Paul is at the point where it's very clear to him he's not going to be released and he's going to stand trial again. But Paul is, is very clear. I'm not going back to Jerusalem. They haven't proved a single thing. You know, Festus, he flat out says to him, as you know very well, I have not done anything wrong to the Jews. And so now the time comes when he evokes his highest right. And the time comes for him to finally fulfill what the Lord was requiring of him. And that he go beyond the Sanhedrin, that he go beyond Caesarea and the Roman governor, but that he takes Christianity all the way to Rome itself. And y'all, this is one of those pin drop silence moments. Verse 12, after Festus had conferred with his council, he declared, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. Y'all, what a dramatic moment this is, but it means that everything that the Lord had planned is coming to fruition. Paul will have his opportunity, and what wonders the Lord will work as a result. Wonders like writing books of the Bible, like his letter to the Philippians and to the Ephesians while he's writing in chains. Those, those epistles referred to as the prison letters. That's what's going to come about because of this. We know from those letters that Scores of people in what he calls, like take the book of Philippians. We were recently in Philippians on Sunday mornings. Now we're in Ezra. But in Philippians, Paul talks about Caesar's household. I send you greetings from all those in Caesar's household. And we know that countless people come to know the Lord right there in Rome as a result of Paul appealing to Caesar and ending up in Rome. All of these point to God's sovereign will being carried out. And all of these point to a deeper principle for you and me. We hit on this yesterday, but I cannot stress this enough. God doesn't call us to know the future. God calls us to be faithful where we're at. God calls us to yield to his spirit, to be sensitive to his, spirit, his spirit's calling, and, and to take the opportunities that he gives us to testify. It's his business what he does with our circumstances. And I get it, y'all. The circumstances that we face hurt. They really do. I mean, the circumstances that we face can be just all-consuming, especially when we face pain or loss or difficulty or heartache or any number of things. But as the followers of Christ, recognizing that this life is not all that there is, as the followers of Christ, recognizing that we don't belong to ourselves, our real focus in life should be to take the opportunities that the Lord gives us wherever we find ourselves. Now, in Paul's case, this was the opportunity to appeal to Caesar and to stand and testify to Christ's glory before the, the ruler of the known world. 
He wanted to go tell the ruler of the gnome world about the real king of kings and the real lord of lords. So he was going to Rome. Now, you and I, our opportunities are somewhat different, but we still have them. When's the last time, and here's your devotional thought in light of this, when's the last time that you took the time to really consider who it might be in your life that the Lord is directing you to to share the gospel? Who in your life the Lord has brought your way and has given you unique opportunities to spend time with that individual and to testify to Jesus' greatness? Sometimes it is somebody that doesn't know the Lord at all, and they need Jesus. And he's given you that opportunity. Sometimes it's people that know the Lord and just need encouragement. We see both kinds here. The point is this, y'all. It's like I talked about Sunday. We convince ourselves of the three T's that belong to us, but don't really. We convince ourselves that time, talent, and treasure all belong to us. And in reality, they're given to us, but as stewards, because our time isn't really ours. Our talents, don't they come from the Lord? Our treasure, all of our resources come from him. And so ultimately, our calling is to examine what we do with these for the kingdom, for the Lord. Let me encourage you to do that this Thursday. We've got the weekend stretching out in front of us. Take the time today, or whenever it is you happen to find this, take the time today to consider who the Lord has put in your life that he's calling you to testify to. And again, it's not just non-believers, but certainly if there are unbelievers, non-believers in your life, they need Jesus. And you may be the only one that can take Jesus to them in, in God's sovereign plan. So take the time to consider these things. We see the example in Paul. Let us follow it in our lives. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. We thank you for the wisdom of the Holy Spirit on display and Paul's faithfulness. And again, we ask that we would be faithful. Let us take the time to really consider who is in our life or our lives that, that you would have us go to to either proclaim your greatness or, or tell them about Jesus for the first time. We don't know, but we know that you know, and we know that you're always working. So please let us be about your business. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you all for being a part of this time. Lord willing, we'll be back Sunday morning at 9 a.m. with our worship service and then Monday morning at 6 a.m. But until then, I hope that you all have a fantastic weekend. Take care.